0: Mangrove, the zero yeah. go, the zero yeah. go, the zero
1: Welcome to another edition of Touring the AFC South. I am your host, Mike Patton. Thank you all for wherever you're tuning in from, whether it be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Amazon, wherever it may be. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, if you're tuning in on Spotify, I'd love for you to give me a five-star rating if you like what you hear. And if you're tuning in on Apple Podcasts, If you would go ahead and give me that five star rating and review, I'd greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate it. Now on this episode for today, we will have Miss Jamel Hill joining the show. Yes, she of his and hers podcast and of the uh, Jamel Hill is Unbothered podcast will be on the show today. Now, of course, we're going to get to our conversation a little bit later on in the episode, but up first, like we always do, we've got to do the get it off your chest segment Now, those who have been listening to my show know that I have a few guests that actually come back and repeat guests um, that actually are writers and cover this or, or cover a team within the market in the AFC South, whether it's Indianapolis, whether it's Tennessee, whether it's Houston or it's Jacksonville. And more specifically, in Jacksonville, there's one man That he's definitely going to give you the full, unadulterated truth each and every time he is on the show. That man's name is John Reed. Now, for those that aren't aware, John has been covering, basically, John covers uh, has been covering the Jacksonville Jaguars for uh, the Florida Times Union, and he has been doing an excellent job calling it as he sees it. And I definitely love to 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 see what he, he puts out and the creativity he puts with um, what he works, what he, what he writes, and also just the honest truth he puts into all of it. Now, officially on July 18th, John has retired after 34 years as a sports writer. Now, some of that time, of course, was in New Orleans and um You know, before he came to Jacksonville and he's he's moving on to uh, teach uh, social science at a charter school, of course, uh, where he grew up. And he, of course, you know, wants to make a difference. And I can totally, totally respect that. But what I can say is John Reed will definitely be missed. I, I love talking to him about different players, different situations. And he just gave you the pure truth about it, whether it was something you wanted to hear, didn't want to hear, whatever. He gave you the pure truth about it. And you can't do anything but respect him for doing that and putting it all out there, the good, the bad and the ugly. John, you definitely will be missed in the writing world. I'm pretty sure you'll probably be doing something to stay you know, in in the know about what's going on with Jacksonville and the Jaguars. But, you know, you're definitely being missed. Your pin game was great. And, you know, I definitely appreciate you for taking the chance and coming on uh, my podcast uh, and always being willing and able to come on my podcast and, you know, definitely giving the best information from Jacksonville. That you could possibly give. And I'll greatly be thankful for that. And I greatly appreciate that, Mr. Reed. Just wanted to give you your flowers. And thank you for all the great things. That you did for me and my podcast. And I just want to tell you. That I appreciate you. That has been. The get it off your chest segment. For this episode. We're going to take a quick commercial break. And when we come back. It'll be me talking to Jamel Hill on Touring the AFC South with your host, Mike Patton. We'll be right back after these commercial break. Going through some things and not quite sure who to turn to? Well, let me tell you about Peace of Mind Counseling and Life Coaching. They offer services ranging from mental health counseling, parenting classes, life coaching services, therapy, alcohol and drug assessments, and so much more. And all the services are monitored by licensed supervisors. Also, they're currently offering free consultations for counseling or life coaching. All you need to do to get started is reach out to them online at www.peacemindclc.com or give them a call at 615-930-1230 to get started. Again, you can reach out to them online at www.peacemindclc.com. PeaceMindCLC.com, or give them a call at 615-930-1230. So if you feel you need to talk to someone or know someone that needs to talk to someone, take the time to reach out to Peace of Mind Counseling and Life Coaching, where the motto is, it costs you your peace of mind, then it is too expensive. Welcome back to Touring the AFC South. I am your host, Mike Patton, and my guest this episode really doesn't need an introduction. A lot of people know who she is from his and hers podcast and from, of course, her own podcast now that is Taking Over the Airwaves, and she definitely puts it down every single time she jumps on the podcast. But of course, I did have to give a little bit of an introduction. It is the one, the only, Miss Jamel Hill. How are you doing?
0: I'm great. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
1: Well, thanks for coming on, of course. And uh, I did have to say that, uh, of course, I didn't, of course, put this in any notes or anything, but I <laughs> did enjoy your speech at, at the Black Sports Business Symposium. And that meant a lot, just hearing a lot of the gems that you were dropping there.
0: Well, thank you. I mean, it was, um, it was a great opportunity to kind of connect with some of my old colleagues because it was a, essentially a ESPN event <laughs> basically. And so I got a chance to connect with them and you know, also just see just so many black faces that are now in sports media. and um, you know, that was not always the case when I was first kind of coming into the business. So to see now just how many different you know black people in sports are either podcasting, doing other digital things um having their own tv shows just the versatility in which we're in sports media now is is really heartwarming to see so i just tried to share a few of the things that have helped me along the way um i'm hoping that somebody was able to get something out of it and, and maybe it'll help them
1: gotcha okay now of course uh you you started out of course in journalism and you still do some some journalism now of course with uh, the atlantic but uh how and and what sparked your love for journalism?
0: Well, to be specific, it's, it's what sparked my love for sports journalism is that I've never wanted to be any other kind of journalist. And that came from the fact that I was a huge sports fan growing up. I was a tomboy. I played sports. I watched sports. And I also read the newspaper because that's what you had to do then in order to keep up with your sports teams. And That helped me develop a love for writing, a love for newspapers in particular, and a love for journalism. So when I was in high school, I wrote for my high school newspaper. Um, I had a, a job at the professional paper, the Detroit Free Press, answering phones in the sports department. I majored in journalism at Michigan State. I had a bunch of different internships. I'm very lucky because I knew in 10th grade that writing about sports was what I wanted to do and I have not deviated much from that path since then. <laughs> uh, most people, as they should, and you know, understandably so, they change professions or their idea about what they wanna do several different times over the course of their lives. I was just the one sports journalism nerd that, that didn't. Um, so I've been doing this now for oof, almost three decades um, as a paid professional, and I've been very lucky um, I've had an amazing career. I don't mean to talk about myself like I'm writing my eulogy, but <laughs> you <laughs> know, just you know some of the things I've been uh, lucky enough to experience, but it all stemmed from an honest fan's love of sports is where this all came from.
1: I still remember when I was a kid sitting down and uh reading the uh. The sports section—that was the only section I read of the paper yep. on Saturday Same. mornings. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: you, know, you know. Well, part of it was a little bit of me wanting to see if I was in the paper because I, I played high school football, but other, <laughs> but other parts of it was trying to figure out what all was going on and how they kind of wrote it. And at that point, you know, what's funny is I, I didn't actually like writing when I was a kid. I almost failed my senior year of high school because oh, wow. I was that terrible in writing, and I just hated <laughs> writing. But It's funny how the Lord will tell you, hey, you know, watch this. You're going to actually like it eventually. So, you know, it's, it's,
0: you know, the old adage, uh, we make plans and God laughs.
1: Right, right. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So I've got to ask, but your career, you know, uh, what is one of the uh, it's it's been been through a lot of different things, a lot of different places led you from what Detroit to I remember you talked on your podcast, Cleveland for a minute. And then also yes. Orlando as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've, uh, so I guess this is using cities. This is my path. So when I was in, in college, as I mentioned, I had multiple internships. So in college, in um, one summer, I lived in Lima, Ohio. The next summer, uh, I lived partly in Detroit, partly in Philadelphia. The following summer, uh, I lived in Cleveland. The summer after that, I lived in North Carolina, in Raleigh, North Carolina. And that eventually led. To my first full-time position it was an uh, internship I accepted after I graduated from Michigan State and then they hired me three or four months into my internship and then when I became a professional I spent two years in Raleigh I spent I moved back to Detroit I spent six years working at the Detroit Free Press my hometown newspaper Uh left there went to the Orlando Sentinel I uh, spent two years there Um, At the paper, that is. And then I got hired by ESPN in 2006, but I still lived in Orlando because ESPN hired me to be a writer. They did not hire me to be on television, (laughs) contrary to what everybody might perceive to be the case. And I lived in Orlando for about seven years, and I finally moved to Bristol, Connecticut, where ESPN is headquartered in uh, 2013 and uh after i was done with espn i moved to well i should say after i was done with SportsCenter, center i moved to dc for about six or seven months left espn all, to, all together then i moved to los angeles where i live now so i'm now living in the sixth city i've lived in since i became a professional
1: all right so of course like you mentioned previously you have been lucky to do sports journalism for a long time. Of course, I'm going to get to some of the questions in the uh in uh, <laughs> the AFC South inbox because, well, I'm going to ask it now. They actually oh, keep asking, what's in the red cup?
0: <laughs> First of all, to quote Lil Wayne, what's in my cup is in my cup. <laughs> <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, it's just rosé. <laughs> it's just <some> rosé. <laughs> it's five o'clock here so i don't know what y'all doing but (laughs) it's it's five o'clock here in 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 la all right
1: all right now of course you know we talked about your journalism career but have you ever had a time where you thought about potentially changing careers
0: never it's never happened
1: um (laughs) i
0: suck it i suck at math so can't go that direction and i just love telling stories and it's as often as I get frustrated uh, with our business, eh, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. I've, I've thought about leaving different parts of journalism. I mean, I've ob- obviously done it, like I left SportsCenter. So, but I never in the course of wanting to leave SportsCenter thought I'm leaving sports journalism or sports media altogether. I just wanted to leave that particular job. So no, nah, I've never really wanted to do anything else. And um, I think it's this because, you know, for me, I think this is more of this is a calling for me. So I'm going to spend the rest of my days telling stories in some kind of way. I mean, I'm getting more now into film and television work. But to me, that is just an extension of what journalism journalism or, or journalists, I should say, do, which is identifying stories, telling them and telling them as accurately and as fairly as possible.
1: All right. Fair enough, fair enough. Now, of course, you know, I have to go back and talk about the one show that inspired a lot of people. (laughs) One podcast, I should say. His and hers podcast. Now, I have to ask, how did it originally come about?
0: Well, it it originally um, started, honestly, out of frustration. Um, Michael Smith and I, we were both at ESPN. And even though he was at ESPN a few years before I got there, we went through the same kind of frustrating um path that a lot of people go through at espn it's uh you know it's a great place but there's a lot there's a lot of really talented people who work there and everybody's fighting for real estate all of the time and mike and i we have been able to do a little bit of tv together we filled in for um you know skip and steven a on first take before we had done Uh, you know, some other shows together, Around the Horn, Sports Reporters. And we knew that we had a special chemistry that you don't often see on air. You know, we felt like we had, you know, Michael Wilbon, uh, Wilbon, Tony Kornheiser type of chemistry. That we were, we could be one of the next great pairs there, Skip and Stephen A., you know, Mike and Tony. Like, we felt like we could do that. But that was, uh, at first... um, uh, uh, just our opinion, <laughs> not shared <laughs> by everybody. And it wasn't that they were necessarily trying to be mean to us. It was just the fact that, and this happens in TV a lot, They, if they can't see it or if it hasn't been done, they don't want to do it, right? Because the thing is, what was, what was big at the time was white man, black man, right? You never really saw on TV, black man, black woman, Coming to each other basically on an equal playing field. Like Mike and I have both been sports journalists uh, for in newspapers. He covered the Patriots. I've been a columnist. I covered college football and basketball for six years. Like we were coming to each other on equal footing, having covered a lot of the same things, knowing how to develop sources, knowing how to talk about sports, driving shows, and writing, you know, opinion base. So we were equals in every particular way. And they had not seen that before. It was usually if you did see a woman on a desk with a man, she was typically the host. And she was teeing up other analysts to give their opinion and not her own. That was not me. So it was very much an anomaly. And because we were both black, because again, the thing is, I I said that one of the greater tricks that PTI pulls is that Mike and Tony are the same person. It's just one of them is white. They're great friends. They have, they see, they have a very similar worldview. They definitely argue about some things. So I'm not saying that that doesn't happen, but because you optically see a difference racially, you think like, oh, this is a show about differences, about these two people who clash all the time. Mike and I didn't have that because optically you saw two black people that were around the same age, even though one is a man, one is a woman. So I remember this producer told us one of the reasons why he didn't feel like we would make it as a television pair, or we shouldn't have our own show, is because we thought too much alike. Now, anybody who's listened to us knows that is not the case, but he was thinking too much optically, like people are going to see y'all and think y'all think the same, and that couldn't be further from the truth. So basically, to answer your question, we got tired of being rejected, and we went to Um, a woman named Sharita Johnson who ran ESPN audio at the time was in charge of podcasts. And we were like, forget it. We'll just turn what we want to do into a podcast because, you know, Mike and I, we both were in Bristol a lot at the same time. So we would hang out, go to dinner, just chit chat, talk. And we had like amazing conversations and we're like, man, it'd be great if we could bring these to a sports platform. And so that's what we tried to accomplish with the podcast, the thing is, we didn't really want to talk about sports. <laughs> we were just like, can we just talk about, like, you know, um, all the Black movies we saw growing up? Or can we just talk about, you know, Beyonce performing at the Super Bowl or whatever was hot in, in Black culture or in pop culture at the moment or, you know, whatever it may be? But we found a way to use sports as a vehicle to talk about things that we were talking about with our friends or, Sometimes things you talk to, talk about with your significant other, like I remember when Jeannie Bus and Phil Jackson first broke up, we <laughs> and we didn't want to really talk about the breakup. Instead, we talked about working with your spouse. Like I, I mean, I had never, served, I hadn't, I didn't even have a spouse at the time. Mike was married, and so or like, is this a good idea or a bad idea, or like just doing projects with your spouse or just or your significant other, whoever. So that's what that podcast became became. And so we were really good at doing that is taking a macro story and turning it into something, you know, about relationships.
1: Okay. All right. So what was the moment that you kind of realized that, uh, you and Michael Smith really had something special in his nurse?
0: I think we knew it, um, really early on, you know, um, both of us have a lot of self confidence. Uh, Mike probably has even more than I do. uh Some would say to borderline to the point of arrogance. So even when I had self doubt, Mike's confidence was gonna see us through for sure. <laughs> and but we, you know, that's the thing. I I, uh, I say this phrase a lot. I forgot where I heard it. I feel like I heard it in the movie. You don't know it's the greatest time of your life when it's the greatest time of your life. And so when we were doing his and hers we had sort of a, a, a mantra that uh, we always used to say, we sell the tapes out the trunk. Like in our mind, we just grinded. And we're not even fully aware of some of the things that we're doing, even though we know now that those things just aren't done. Like people weren't doing skits about coming to America and like all the <laughs> crazy stuff that they allowed us to do. Or, um, you know, they weren't doing stuff like that, that we were fully and completely ourselves every single day. And that was the only way that we were gonna do the show. That was our terms and conditions. So we got away with doing just a lot of really different things that at the time, because we were so focused on sometimes what we didn't have, we had like a big chip on our shoulder. And because we were so focused on what we didn't have, we didn't even a lot of times realize the special moments and memories that we were creating in real time.
1: Now, speaking of moments and memories, what is your most memorable moment? I know I, I remember the, uh, <laughs> Boys in the Boys in the Hood, I, be, I believe is The Boys it was. in the Hood? Yes, Hood's I remember kid. that oh, one.
0: <laughs> so let me give you a little backstory, a quick story about the Boys in the Hood skit. We absolutely did not want to do that. Um, number one, after we did Coming to America, I thought we were done because I'm like, there is no way we could do any skit better than that. Like, we can't do it. We pulled off the Magnus Opus, like, it can't be done, and then we started sort of thinking like, ah, but "What if we did this?" And sooner or later, we convinced ourselves to do one. I thought we were done after Anchorman because I was like, "Guys, we actually blew a ton of money doing this. I mean, we were we filmed that at ESPN's headquarters. We literally lit a man on fire to pull off the fight scene in <laughs> Anchorman. Real talk." <laughs> That's a real horse, okay? Like it's, we. I mean, the whatever was the his and hers budget, we blew all of that on that one skit. Like we, could, I mean, it's amazing they didn't have us doing the show out of a garage after that because of how much money we spent just to pull that off. So by the time we got to Boys in the Hood, and our producers suggested that because we had done, you know, so many good ones, Step Brothers, or, or, or we had done Empire, like so many of them. And, you know, I thought we were kind of retired and they were like, you guys should do Boys in the Hood. You guys should do it. And we realized at this point, we have like, I think at that point we had one black producer. These are all white people suggesting this. We're like, what? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But, you know, one thing about Mike and I is that when we commit, we commit. So they talked us into it. We did it. And lo and behold, there I was drinking a 40 on national television on ESPN. And yes, it was a real 40. We sent a production assistant to the liquor store to get me one, because I was like, I'm not a method <laughs> actor. I need the real thing. <laughs> so um, so yeah, I mean, you know, memorable moments. Uh, it, it was just so many. Um, I, of course the skits are good, but uh, I know that that's a, a lot of what a lot of the audience remembers, but I remember our conversations just as much. I, I remember the day after Uh, Philando Castile was murdered we had a 16 minute conversation about police brutality on air Um, when Colin Kaepernick was getting blackballed from the league we had like a 20 minute conversation realizing TV this is not done like most times your first um, you know your first block in your show should be between six to eight minutes we said forget it. Blew through every stop 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 sign possible because we were gonna keep talking because we had a lot to say. Those are the conversations I remember, you know, the most um, because we knew that there wasn't a single show at ESPN that was addressing that issue the way that we did or even daring to talk about it at all. So, and I, I think you know our audience, the culture, really appreciated it, but it was very much. Who we were, and so those moments for me will always be the most special out of anything. And and certainly, we had some laughs. I mean, Mike hit me in the face with the papers, (laughs) and he cussed (laughs) on TV. He got a pie (laughs) smashed in his face. I mean, we we did a lot of goofy stuff. I was just like, wow, they really let us do this at work. That's crazy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Now. I, I can't go on without saying that you are, are definitely a great example of a uh, a powerful Black woman using her power to actually affect change and do great things. Um, so what do we owe that development of who you are now?
0: It's who I've always been. Now, maybe not in this unapologetic format, but <laughs> I've always spoken my mind. And I'm the kind of person where I may not. Always, you know, I, I don't despite what the perception is like, I don't take up every issue. I don't walk around angry. I don't just say like, oh, I got an opinion about everything. It's just when I have something to say, I'm going to say it and I'm not going to apologize for what I said. And I'm going to have the mentality of I said what I said. <laughs> OK, Because <laughs> I think very carefully about the things that I do say. So when I say them, I'm already thinking about I've already, I should say, thought about what the fight is going to be. And I'm already three steps ahead of the conversation. And I don't know if it's God given or something I learned. I have some very outspoken women in my family, outspoken people, not just limited to women. And uh, I grew up in a uh, environment where my family argued a a lot, like about, they argued about history. They argued, I mean, you had to be able to hold your position. It's how it was. My mother told me this story, um, which I, I laugh about. So you know, I, I, she discovered Juneteenth. We spent um, about two years where we lived in Texas. And that's when she slash I discovered Juneteenth because grew up in Detroit. I had never heard of Juneteenth until then. So we're talking about the, you know, mid 80s or yeah, about the mid 80s or early to mid 80s. And, uh, you know, her, my grandmother, my great uncle, they were talking, this is when we moved back about, the Emancipation Proclamation. I have no idea why they're talking about a blanket, but they, but they are, <laughs> and uh, apparently they got into a huge argument because my mother was like, "Well, although he proclaimed the slaves to be free, that's not actually when they were free." And she started to talk about the history of Juneteenth, and man, my mu- my grandmother and my my uh, great uncle like argued her down, like they would not back off. To <laughs> so finally, my mother just relented and was just like, "Y'all got it." Even though history, she was right. Okay. But they they were just convinced that they were they were in the right. And, you know, sometimes you got to let the elders have it. You just got to. So I say all that to say is that I grew up in that kind of family where, you know, when we have family gatherings that we have just knockout arguments about, you know, big uh, world events or historical events, but also silly things about whether or not P- Patty LaBelle could sing. So because of that... <laughs> You know, and of course, Patty can, um, or who was the greatest voice? Like, uh, you know, uh, just debates—they just happen all the time. And so, because of I came from that kind of background, it I felt completely comfortable debating people once I moved over to sports broadcasting.
1: Now, I, I know, of course, we we both probably been on this earth for a good while, so there are Speak definitely some. <laughs> there's definitely some uh, life lessons that probably have, have come about o- over your time on earth. Of course. Uh, what are some of the biggest life lessons that you thought have kind of helped you develop into who you are?
0: Um, there's a few, um, you know, I guess to speak in uh, sort of quotes, if you will, success is the best revenge. That's one. Another one uh, I have is control the things that you can control. A lot of people, we spend a lot of times worrying about things we can't really control. You can't control if people like you. You can't control what type of promotions you receive or don't receive. And I've always found great comfort in being able to control what I can. I can control my work ethic, my preparedness. Um, those are the things that are within my purview. And that's what I'm going to you know, focus on. Um, I think, you know, uh, also the value of authenticity and, and being genuine, especially now, now that so many people love to put themselves out there, I think people now have a very good barometer and litmus test about who's being real, uh, which I find to be an endearing quality about how things have kind of changed a little bit. And so, um, you know, I, I just have always found great comfort in being like just real, that to me is is um kind of an important component to who I am, and just how I approach being a journalist. You know, for a long time in journalism, we were all brought up on the school of you got to be objective. Yeah, I mean, I think object, object objectivity to be honest, is something that journalists hide behind. We're supposed to be truth tellers. And when you tell the truth, there are some things that are not objective. You know if you're writing if you were writing about slavery, you know back in the eighteen hundreds, That's not, you don't, you can't be objective about slavery. It's slavery. Okay. So you have to be able to say the truth is the truth, call a thing, a thing. And so um, I think now that is kind of like what I live my life by is like trying to make sure um, that I'm real. I'm authentic. I'm bringing my full self to every single situation.
1: For those that have checked out my picture my new picture for my you know graphics for my podcast you can tell i have a new image an updated image a professional looking image it's time for you to take control of your image and you can take control of your professional image with a fresh set of headshots by the good folks of joshua silvers photography let josh at joshua silvers photography handle your personal branding business headshots portrait or any other photographic need with great pricing and even better quality you can reach him via phone at 423-557-6746 once again that's 423-557-6746 you can also reach him at instagram at joshua silvers photography or you can reach him on facebook call joshua silvers photography and get yourself booked today i know i did and he's got me looking great now of course i can't go on without giving you uh some flowers tonight uh, so okay of course you know you got people in there that say keep speaking your mind my boy scott wallace uh, in uh touring the asc south inbox keep speaking what up, your scott? mind <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we need more people like you okay. uh said you. uh daniel dillard Says, keep being bothered and speaking the truth, Jamel. <laughs> <laughs> said, this is a master." Uh, Danny Thompson says, this is a master's class of, of being yourself and not apologizing for it. And I have one more, I believe. Let's see. Hold on one second. <laughs> well,
0: I do appreciate all, right. all the flowers from everybody.
1: Oh yeah, of course they uh, You know, of course I'm not gonna let you get off here without uh, without giving you some of them.
0: Well, on, let me now. just say this: the reason why I have to vocally say that is one thing I'm trying to get better at, and I, I feel like maybe this is a condition that specifically mm-hmm. applies to women, and especially black women, is that most of us aren't. A lot of us aren't great. I'm to say most. A lot of us aren't great at receiving compliments. I know I I certainly am not, and. Maybe it's because we're always on to the next thing and thinking about, okay, Mm -hmm. I got to make this happen. I got to grind. I got to do this. And so you don't spend a whole lot of time patting yourself on the back. And I'm not saying that you should, but I do think there are moments that calls for pause, reflection, and gratitude, and also you celebrating the journey that you're on. And I have not done that very well at all. In fact, I'm terrible at it. And so in these moments where people want to express to me that like oh I appreciate what you did I want to say thank you because usually in the past I would deflect and say oh no and just try to minimize it but now I'm learning how to say thank you so this is very much um timely in in terms of my personal growth
1: I hear you there and I got one more that actually wants to say oh. something it's like Camila your point of view is strong, clear, and needed. Love you in this space.
0: Well, thank you. I appreciate you saying that.
1: Now, I do have to say something as well and that I actually uh, have a, the same kind of thing that you're talking about. <laughs> I, I actually have that too because I clearly can't. When people tell me something, I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> so right. I, I totally get exactly where you're coming from.
0: But you, but you have to, you have to practice not doing that. Next time somebody pays you a compliment, compliment, just learn to say, Thank you. I appreciate that. Right. Don't figure out a way to try to minimize it, deflect from it, take the attention off of it. Like, I, I don't, even though I, 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 like, we're both in professions that require us to be the center of attention. I don't actually love being the center of attention, but I'm learning not necessarily to be the center of attention, but to recognize that there are people out there who really like and want to hear what I have to say. And it would be doing a disservice to them if I was always figuring out ways to try to act like that's not happening. You know what I mean?
1: Right. Right. Now of course uh this is an AFC South show and I definitely would love to get some of your opinions on a few things. No. Oh, <laughs> now one is I've got to talk about the city I'm in. I live in Nashville. So right course the Tennessee Titans are here and when they're good and when they're bad (laughs) people still don't want to actually show them kind of credit for who they are and of course Uh fans talk about it all the time and they're you know every time fans talk about it here I tell them every time please stop talking about the media talking about you because when you do (laughs) that's when you lose but they they never listen to me and it always Uh, happens so quick question I got is why do you think it is that when Tennessee is it just a small market thing or is it just because they're not the sexy team that everybody likes to see when they're winning?
0: So, it. it I mean, it makes sense though, given the fact that you know, even though Nashville, you know, with that small market thing is really interesting. Like Jacksonville to me is a small is a small market. Nashville, I, I don't know. I mean, we have to stop we have to stop being in this mindset that if you're not New York or LA Miami or Chicago, you're a small market. Like there's a lot of people who live in Nashville. You know what I mean? And I know that the Titans may not always lead every topic when you look at debate shows or sports shows, but what naturally happens. And I actually think it's kind of a good thing for a fan base is that a certain chip develops. Like I went to Michigan state. We probably have the biggest chip on our shoulder (laughs) in the big 10, like we petty, okay, petty. We hate the University of Michigan with good reason because we're good people. And anytime Michigan gets anything over us, like we ready to like fight to the death because we find it to be just, you know, sort of um, a a spur in our spirit, if you will. There's some advantages to being in a small market. One, I think the fan base, the way they relate And the way they frankly support the team, I think, is a lot different. Like here in L.A. with the Rams, I mean, no offense, but they can take offense. I don't care. I ain't from here. But a lot of L.A. fans did not start jumping on the Rams until they actually won. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't mean the Super Bowl, but until they really show like, oh, this team really might do something. A lot of it has to do with the fact that, you know, they had not had, they went through a serious gap of not even having NFL football. So I get that. But the Rams are just kind of trendy and cool, and people are all on, on them. I guarantee you, let the Rams go through some tough times, and that's when you gonna see who are the real fans. But, you know, the only team here that is supported to me, regardless of record, is the Lakers, because that's what they grew up on. So it makes a lot of sense. So what I would say is that I think the chip on the shoulder is healthy. It really is because when when it's finally time to cash in, and y'all win the big one, or, or you know, go back to the Super Bowl, like the victory is going to just taste so much sweeter because you've been there the whole time, like you know the history, you've been there through every step, you've suffered through some things, and so I, I just think it makes the experience that much better. So I, I love, frankly, quote unquote, small market teams because of their commitment to the teams. I find to be so much different than some big city teams. Obviously, New York, Chicago is different, but, you know, L.A. is a little (laughs) (laughs) fly-by-night.
1: Now, of course, uh, you know, you did throw out there Jacksonville. Now, I'm going to put you in charge of Jacksonville.
0: Oh, God. They just
1: cannot consistently be good or get out of their own way. Mm -hmm. What would you do to make them consistently good?
0: Well, give them a little credit. Uh, In the offseason, they have spent a lot of money, okay? And it kind of starts there. They do have the major piece. They have a quarterback. They have a guy in Trevor Lawrence that they think is going to be their quarterback for the next 10 years. A lot of people don't have a guy, so they at least have a good starting point. I think it's really hard in the NFL to sustain success because you know we're in a salary cap, free agent type of era. Hence why you look at somebody like Bill Belichick and the Patriots and what they built that that's really hard to do. Like everybody can't do that. I think it comes from knowing what you don't know. And what often what you find, especially you talk to a lot of NFL GMs, you talk to a lot of people in the NFL. And what you find is that people would rather be right rather than do what's best for the team. And those are two different things. And sometimes you have to realize what your shortcomings are um, and realize that, not just you don't know everything, but it's okay to abort out of mistakes. And I just find that so many teams, they just will stick with a mistake just because they're trying to be right. And that's that's a bad way to run a franchise. Listen, my husband's a Lions fan, so I I, <laughs> I, I often worry about his mental health. And I've told him many times before as it relates to the Lions, I was like, listen, there's a there's a pervasive culture that's there that starts with the ownership. Like It does, and it's unfortunately for NFL fans because owners don't really change that often. So you're kind of, once you get a bad one, God bless you, and you just better (laughs) hope to God that somehow they throw a dart at the wall and you land the right GM that can help you up out of situations. Now with Jacksonville in particular, um, I got a lot to say about Trent Baalke, but I'm going to just be quiet. (laughs) <laughs> oh, tr-
1: trust me i, I understand
0: you already understand <laughs> right i'm a 49ers fan so you know i got a lot to say about him i just i'm just surprised that people still put him in charger teams i'm just surprised that and i'm just yes. looking at that yeah well
1: i definitely had a i had john reed on my show who actually covers the team and uh, well i will say this he covered the team he spent 34 years he's actually retiring now and actually going to be a teacher now but he actually talked about the, the, the hiring process in terms of Byron Leftwich and how that went. Now, that right there, wow. That's did, then then they had to ask the actual coaches that were bringing in, Did they, could they work with Trent Baalke? And that's where Byron Leftwich said what he said, and that's where it kind of sped out. But he wasn't the only coach that said that. The coach, so, and the coach so what, Denver what, what, was the one that said what, that, too.
0: What, what does that tell you? So you would rather <laughs> stick with a GM that you know has a certain <laughs> reputation around the NFL. You know why? Because somebody don't want to be wrong. Just because you yeah. know your ego has made you make decisions that are going to doom your franchise for years to come. Everybody knows what's up with Trent Baalke. Everybody knows this. This is not some hidden secret, all right? But you still <laughs> chose him. And then you, you hire Urban Meyer, like what? i I was like oh i get it you just want to be bad all right right
1: right
0: you know i mean it's funny because nfl owners you know most of them the the teams are their toys they're not their businesses where they need the primary source of their income and it's interesting because if they ran their teams like they do their main businesses a lot of them would be a lot more successful but they don't do that they run it they run it like hobbies that they're just infatuated it with and they don't know a lot about. And that's why you find so many of them are perpetually non successful.
1: That's true. That's true. Now, I do have a question about the Colts here. Mm-hmm. They're on their fifth quarterback in yep. five years. Yep. Which, of course, that was Andrew Luck, Jacob Brissett, Phillip Rivers, Carson Wentz, and now Matt Ryan. I, I, I people are saying that they're they're playoff they're contenders and, and things like that, but do you really believe that they are a contender? I honestly am looking at them like okay, they have one wide receiver, Michael Pittman Jr. Who's on yeah. the other side? Who's a tight end? Who's yeah. consistently rushing the passer? That they did trade for uh, a guy from Las Vegas. They traded for him, but who's rushing the passer consistently? Stefan Gilmore is he going to be the same guy or not? Who's playing in safety? You got one guy <laughs> injured, one guy, <laughs> you know, just a lot of things to think it's about. A lot more have-
0: question marks than people, right? But I will say this though. I mean, I just get the feeling that Matt Ryan is going to be able to resurrect his career there. I, 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 I thought this was a good move for him. I mean, I know that there have been very, understandably, mixed opinions about how good Matt Ryan actually is. Uh, people in Atlanta weren't happy with him you know and I, I I get that but I always felt like um you know he got a bit of a a bad rap um that's not to say like okay I'm gonna keep it all the way real again I'm a 49ers fan if you ask me right now to switch Matt Ryan and Jimmy Garoppolo I would say yes I say yes now some people be like well that says a lot about Jimmy Garoppolo Jimmy Garoppolo for whatever people want to say about him it's like you know I mean we gone to a Super Bowl with him and the reason we didn't win had nothing to do with Jimmy Garoppolo it had everything to do with a very trash game plan late once we were up that Matt Ryan has also experienced same guy (laughs) Kyle Shanahan was his offensive coordinator he was our head coach same thing happened 28 to 3 happened to us All right, same thing okay (laughs) so that should tell you that is not just the quarterback. We average nine yards a carry. We start running the ball. I know Atlanta can relate. We here. So I say all that to say is that oftentimes the quarterback gets too much credit and too much blame. And I just have a feeling that there's something left in the tank with Matt Ryan. And he just got in a situation or in a relationship. And people who have been in these kind of relationships can relate. where you've gone as far as you can go with that person. And they went as far as they could go. And I think the fresh start now would do him really
1: good. Well, Somebody asked as well, did you play fantasy football? uh, Vincent David Jackson down here. So
0: I retired from fantasy. And I was in four leagues, commissioner or two, the last time I played. I'm trying to think, what was my last year? I feel like my last year was maybe like 2014 or 2015. So it's been a minute. And – I didn't quit because like I didn't love fantasy. I just I quit because I wanted to see I wanted to experience the game again without <laughs> the cloud of fantasy. But I get the best of both worlds now. My husband's deeply involved in fantasy. I can advise him, help him win, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know still still be involved but not involved. But yeah, you know, I have to say I don't I don't really miss uh playing fantasy. Like I I I love fantasy football. I think it's a great way to know all the players, to know the game, Um, great way to compete, have fun with your friends, all of that. But, yeah, I I actually don't really miss it. But, yes, I used to be an avid fantasy football player. Best league I was in was a 20-team league that I was in (laughs) with all the NFL writers in the league. It was crazy. I mean, like, so many of them. It was crazy. Like, you had to trade in that kind of league. And the the trades – i mean i really felt like i was an actual gm of a team it was like the cra- <laughs> trades were crazy you that they're trading for like you know like the third string tight end like what am i doing right now? <laughs> <laughs> who am i <laughs> you
1: know? right right now of course we we do have the houston texans in this division and you know it's a lot yeah. going on down there and uh you know, I just I just want to send some prayers out to Lovey Smith because boy oh boy he, I know. he he's starting from the bottom for real. Hopefully he can go from from up to, there to here like Drake did, but you know we'll see what happens. You know, there. It,
0: it's 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 tough. I mean, I I root for Lovey. I want Lovey to do well, but I think the entire way of of how um, they've done their last couple coaching hires have been really distasteful. Um, You know, I I understand, like, Lovey makes a lot of sense for them. Experienced coach, you know, been to a Super Bowl, you know, good track record. Players really love him. But I just don't like the organization. I don't like the way they operate. I don't like the way they move. Um, As we're seeing with this Deshaun Watson stuff, there's a lot that is still coming out about their role in it, which I always felt like was underplayed. And even before, when they tried to hire Josh McCown, it was like, it's just something about I mean it's just something about this organization that is very clown carish. So I hope he's able to overcome that with as I would any black coach. Would love to see them have success. But um I just don't get a good feeling about them.
1: Right, right. Yeah. Me me, me not as much either, but we'll see what happens. I'm rooting for love even. I'm kind of rooting and and like yeah. mad at the same time. I'm kind of yeah, like yeah. confused <laughs> when I'm when I'm cheering for them. But <laughs> Of course, we have uh, reached uh, the end of of course. You know, the question I do have for you, is, uh, you know, in uh, that sense. But of course, we do have a game. I've oh, got okay. five, six questions for you.
0: Oh, geez. Okay, good. good. I've got
1: two got two choices for you. And uh, I know you're familiar. This sounds very familiar. Kinda, yes. A little familiar. A <laughs> little familiar. But, okay. you know, hey, I kind of switch it up and do a little bit of sports kind of way.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, now, I've got the first one is Steve Young or Joe Montana?
0: oh joe montana (laughs) and and listen i I say this i hated steve young for a long time like because i felt like he was the reason that i mean he was the reason that they got joe montana up out of there and it's hard for me even though listen steve young phenomenal quarterback i grew to love him like really love him but joe can't compare him to joe Joe, Joe brought me so many great childhood memories. Cannot compare them to him.
1: <laughs> All right. Now, writing or podcasting?
0: Writing. Writing is always going to be my first love. Um, it's the thing, you know, the, the great thing about writing is like you never really retire from it. I can write when I'm 80. Um, and uh, it's the thing I felt like I was naturally born to do. So always writing.
1: All right. Now, of course, we got his and hers or Jamel Hill's and Bothered. You got to put them both against each other. <laughs>
0: wow that's dirty that's really really dirty Mm. Mm. these are two different types of experiences but you know I have to say because uh, and and this answer is just based off their reception that I often get when I'm out in public and you know, especially when people see us together. Like Mike and I were together just recently. A, a mutual friend of ours celebrated a milestone birthday. So we uh, invited a bunch of us um, to Mexico. We, You know, we were all on vacation. And just me even putting the picture up of us together, people were like, oh, my God. You know, and when people talk about how much they watched the show and loved it and the stuff that we did, and it really left a cultural imprint. I'm going to say his and hers. Because I, I think um, – I didn't realize this till after it was over, just what it meant to people. And so I'll say that.
1: All right, I got another one for you. Aretha Franklin or a Diana Ross? Oh,
0: Aretha. And I love Diana Ross. You picked two of Detroit's finest. But Aretha, I mean, Aretha might – Aretha, to me, is the greatest voice of all time. No disrespect obviously – Whitney Houston or Mariah, it's Aretha Franklin. I mean, I had a number one hit literally every decade, you know. And so the imprint that she left on Detroit and the fact that she lived there her whole life, it's Aretha.
1: (laughs) Now I've got Barry Sanders or Isaiah Thomas.
0: Oh, for me, it's Isaiah. Isaiah was my favorite player growing up. Um, And realize I'm not a Lions fan. (laughs) Love Barry (laughs) Sanders. Barry's the homie. Uh, i think he's the greatest running back ever but um isaiah for what he meant to me as a burgeoning sports fan to grow up um during that bad boys era i mean he he, po- he poured his entire soul into detroit so isaiah number 11
1: i still remember him uh, uh sprained his ankle still playing against the uh That's right. <laughs> against the lakers, lakers and hopping That's up right. and down the court yeah
0: and I don't care if this is controversial I, don't, I you know i don't really think it is yes he was better than Allen iverson and people need to stop saying he wasn't alan, isaiah thomas was better than alan
1: iverson all right i, said what I said. <laughs> I said what I said I said now i got a i got a bonus one for you below deck or real housewives of the potomac yeah i've been listening you're to really, the show So
0: really done your research huh <laughs> well i'm gonna go with below deck i've been on it twice um went on below deck in thailand and did below deck mediterranean so i'm gonna say below deck even though real house as a potomac became my obsession like i was i was in it i was in the house i was in it but i I mean i've been in below deck i watch every single franchise of below deck sailing mediterranean the original below deck i'm about to jump on below deck australia like i i'm (laughs) i'm deeply invested in this franchise so below
1: that. All right. Well, that's the end of it. And uh, I want to thank you for coming on. I appreciate your time. Um, I know you have some, some things that you're working on. I don't know if you want to kind of uh, talk about it because usually at the end of my shows, I actually allow the guests to, you know, give everyone where they can, you know, be contacted or, you know, anything that they're working on or whatever. So the floor is yours.
0: So, I mean, across social media, just Jamel Hill, very easy to know. And uh, the Jamel Hills and Bob the podcast will be returning in the last week of August. But big thing is my memoir is coming out October 25th. You can pre-order now Amazon, wherever books are sold. So y'all make sure y'all check that out.
1: And it's called Uphill, correct?
0: It is called Uphill.
1: Yes, I, I I did my I did my research again. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but uh, thank everyone for listening. Thank you again for coming on. This Jamel Hill and you, all, you all have been watching and listening. Touring the ANC South with your host Mike Patton. We're out.